Welcome back to Navigating the Book of Navigation, the undergraduate-produced podcast series at Boston College. My name is Gage Higgins, and I'll be introducing this episode today. In our first episode, Professor Sejdi will be hosting a conversation regarding the life and accomplishments of Piri Reis, the guiding historical figure for our series. She will be working with her peers, who are scholars in the field of Ottoman history and cartography, to build a comprehensive narrative of Piri's life and works. You must have heard of Christopher Columbus and Vasco da Gama, but you have probably never heard of a navigator who lived around the same time called Piri Reis. This is because when we think of the great age of exploration, we never think of the Ottoman Empire, this empire that lasted 700 years and was present in Europe, Asia, and North Africa, seems to be absent every time we think of the age of discovery. It is as though Islamic history occurred in isolation from Europe and the rest of the world. My name is Dana Sajdi. I am Associate Professor of History at Boston College. In this episode, I will explore the life and works of Piri Reis, who was an Ottoman navigator, mapmaker, and Navy admiral. I will focus on his extraordinary book of maps called the kitab or the Book of Navigation. Because I'm not an expert in the field of cartography or in maritime history, I called up a few of my friends, scholars of the subject, and I asked them to help me make sense of the phenomenon that is Piri Reis and his Book of Navigation. His full name was Ahmed Muhitin Piri. He was born around the middle of the 15th century in a town called Gelibolu, which is better known in English as Gallipoli. It's a town at the Aegean Sea. And at a young age, Piri joined in the family business as Ottomans tended to do, except the family business, in this case, was not a usual one. Piri became a corsair. We know that his uncle was a famous corsair. We know that he became involved also in the corsairing lifestyle uh, at a relatively young age. And then, as, as did many other people in his profession, he sort of migrated to North Africa. That was the voice of Giancarlo Casale. I think the easiest way to understand corsairs, but the way to describe them that would make some people upset anyway, is that they're basically pirates. The difference between a corsair and a pirate is that a corsair is somebody who has a license to be a pirate. And in Western Europe, there actually, there literally is a license you can get to be a pirate. That's something called a letter of marquee, which says, I have this license from the King of Spain. And so anyone who was at war with the King of Spain, and I find a ship bearing that flag, I can attack it and, and take whatever I want, report it, give a per- percentage to the king, and I can keep the rest. And it's legal. So already before we even get into Piri's life, we immediately learn of Ottoman involvement with other naval powers, in this case, the Spaniards. 
The Catholic monarchs had just extinguished Muslim rule in Spain and expelled their Jewish subject. By the time Piri was a mature adult, the same Catholic monarchs will have financed the voyage of Columbus to what became known as the New World. At the time, the Ottomans had already conquered Constantinople or Istanbul and were expanding in every which direction. Rather than looking for a new route to India as the Spanish and the Portuguese did, it made more sense for the Ottomans to control the Red Sea, the most direct route to the Indian Ocean. Except the Red Sea coast was in Egypt, and Egypt was under the rule of the Mamluks, who were fellow Muslims. Muslims or not, Egypt had to be conquered. And so the Ottoman Sultan Selim the Grim conquered Egypt. It is at this time that Piri reappears in the historical record. He had this famous meeting with Selim the Grim shortly after Selim's conquest of Egypt, and then re-entered at some point the Ottoman service, became an officer in the Ottoman Navy. So while Piri had joined the Ottoman Navy alongside his uncle earlier, the former corsair's encounter with Selim was not a regular event. Piri had drawn a world map, which he had the audacity to present to the ill-tempered sultan. So you're a sea captain in the Ottoman Navy, and then you have Selim, and then you present Selim. You have the guts to present Selim a world map. And he doesn't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, I, is, I don't want to, yeah. you know, you know, you know, Selim, you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> that was the voice of Pinar Amir Aliolu, in whose voice you can detect and hear the admiration for Piri Rees and on whose maps and images she has worked closely. Pinar admires Piri for his industriousness and cleverness. Piri was a corsair and never received a formal education. Everything he knew was from experience, including the acquisition of various languages. He probably knows the lingua franca of the time, Italian. He probably knows Greek because he's from that region. He knows Arabic. He knows Ottoman Turkish. This multilingual pirate with little education was nevertheless a skilled map maker. We do not know whether the world map that he presented to Sultan Selim is the same one of which only a fragment survives today. The fragment that happens to survive is the part that shows basically the South Atlantic and the New World and part of the coast of Africa. But originally it was a map of the entire world as it was known in the year 1513. This map that Giancarlo is talking about is considered one of the oldest and most accurate maps that includes the New World. As I said earlier, when we think of the New World, we never think of the Ottomans. But let us discover more of what Piri Reis can unlock for us. We have gone from the Aegean Sea to North Africa, to Egypt, and to the New World. But let us return to Egypt one more time. 
A few years after the Ottomans conquered Egypt, there was a rebellion that had to be quelled. Piri, now a Navy admiral, and had officially acquired the title Reis, which means captain, he led the fleet that was sent to subdue the rebellion. On board, there was none other than one of the most famous Grand Viziers of Ottoman history. And Grand Vizier means something like Prime Minister. So the famous Grand Vizier was Ibrahim Pasha. When Ibrahim Pasha saw the map that Piri had made to navigate the Mediterranean, he suggested to Piri that he present the map to the then-ruling Sultan, Suleiman the Magnificent. So Piri revised and expanded the work. And rather than presenting it as a large map, he produced an atlas, a beautifully illustrated book with over 200 sectional maps of the Mediterranean coast. This was the Book of Navigation, which we will discuss later in this episode. But to return to the life of Piri, the last few years of his life were tragic. When he was in his 80s, he became the admiral of the fleet in the Red Sea to lead an expedition in the Indian Ocean in order to attack the Portuguese in the Straits of Hormuz. But the Indian Ocean is not the Mediterranean. And he also doesn't really know what he's doing there because he spent his whole life until that time in in the Mediterranean instead. And so he makes a lot of mistakes and he makes a lot of enemies and then he... Giancarlo's evaluation of Piri Reis in the Indian Ocean is similar to that of my third friend, Yossi Rappaport. Here's what he has to say. He goes to the Indian Ocean and the Indian Ocean requires completely different navigational abilities. So whether that is the reason, I don't know if that is really the reason that he is losing there to the Portuguese. There's nothing good about the Indian Ocean. So, for the mariner who is conditioned in the Mediterranean, once you are in the Indian Ocean, the only advice is... Run away! Do not stay here! And run away, Piri did. Leaves his fleet, runs away with the three fastest ships, caught in Cairo, and then executed. While Piri did run away from the Portuguese, he did not behave like a pirate and disappear in the ocean's waves. Rather, he went back to Egypt to face his certain fate. And this is what Yossi has to say. I think going back to Egypt was uh, brave because I think he knew that he was not doing what he was supposed to do. But this is, this is in a way, an act of someone who actually uh, knows the responsibility of what is to be an admiral. He's the first. He's alone in this world. I mean, he, he, you know, he's the pioneer. He's very brave in doing this. The adjective brave came up many times in my conversation with my friends about this pirate-turned-naval-admiral. Piri had the guts to present the notorious Selim the Grim with a world map and the courage to return to Egypt after defeat to meet his end in the reign of Suleiman the Magnificent. This is a sad end. But I'm consoled by the fact that this exceptional man had lived a long life full of wonder and adventure. And every scholar who has worked on Piri seems to have developed an emotional attachment to him which you can detect in their voices and also in their writings. This is probably because his most famous work, The Book of Navigation, 
is not just a practical map for the use of mariners and a beautiful picture book to please the eye of the Sultan. It contains stories about the world and the Mediterranean and events in which Piri himself participated. The Book of Navigation is a deeply personal work. In his description of the Book of Navigation in his own book, Yossi calls the work an ode to the sea. When I interviewed Giancarlo, however, I required a more prosaic and precise description of the Book of Navigation. A big book, which has a section at the beginning, which is a kind of a rhyming verse history of the Portuguese and Spanish discoveries of the late 15th and early 16th century. And then there is a very systematic picture of the entire Mediterranean. It's a a guide to navigation and also a a series of maps and a textual description in in quite minute detail of the entire coast of all the Mediterranean, including the Black Sea and all of the islands and so forth. It's a, a guide to navigation and also a fancy illustrated book that people would give to each other as a, as a nice present. It was kind of a prestige item. And there are a lot of copies of it Hmm. all all through the 16th, 17th, 18th century. It was circulating and being recopied. The book of navigation has been described as being a mixture of various genres, but at the heart of it is what is called portolans. What are these? A portolan is a, is a kind of map, which was developed in the late medieval period. And they go along with a compass. So the idea is that if you have a compass, the portolans are always made on one big piece of leather, which is the back of a calf. In fact, if you look at them, they always have the neck of the calf on one side, which is where you would use to roll it up. And uh, they have the entire coast very meticulously drawn of the Mediterranean, often with no actual coastline, but instead each spot on the coast has the name of that place written exactly perpendicular to the coastline. And then it has this complex system of rum lines that go across the Mediterranean. And the the idea is if you know the name of the place you're coming from and the name of the place that you're going to, you can draw a straight line between them. And then you can use those rum lines and a compass to be able to determine exactly the bearing that you need to take as you are sailing. If you look at Portolans, you immediately think these are maps, and indeed they are. But there's a difference between the usual map and a Portolan. Here is Yossi again. And the Portolans is one of the great mysteries of map making. They come out of nowhere. Instead of trying to imagine the world and place cities in it, you actually just place from where you are to the next bay. Just what is the direction. But if you do this over all the bays in your area, you actually get a pretty accurate, amazingly. And that has been so difficult for scientists to accept that this is basically artisans, pilots on ships. This sentence by Yossi blew my mind away. Let me repeat it while paraphrasing a little. Instead of trying to imagine the world and place cities in it, you are actually placing the city or the port or the bay from where you are at sea. 
In other words, in Portolans, the abstraction that is the map happens from observation on the ground and the practical need of the sailor, rather than beginning with an abstract image to represent the reality on the ground. As a pirate in Gerba, in the Maghreb. This is the tradition which he grew up with because this is how you sailed in the Mediterranean. It's a very specifically Mediterranean tradition because the Mediterranean is small enough for this. Portolans, then, are a result of observation and practical knowledge made to help others navigate. This is not the case when it comes to the usual traditional world map or what was called Mappamundi that were current in that time period. Giancarlo thinks Mappamundis were a rather useless endeavor. That is to say, they were without utility. Here is Giancarlo speaking about the Mappamundi of the time. And so you would never be able to actually tell which direction you need to go to get from one place to another. So the purpose of a Mappamundi is not navigation. It's something else. And in fact, it's somewhat mysterious because it's not practical knowledge that a Mappamundi is representing. It's something more powerful. It's the ability to represent the world, not from the perspective of a human being who's actually standing somewhere, but from the perspective of space. In other words, it's the ability to use mathematics to represent the world as it would normally be seen only by God. So, world maps are purely about power. And what Pinar argues in her book is that Piri Reis was the first Ottoman geographer and cartographer whose maps, whether practical navigational maps or world maps, facilitated and reflected Ottoman aspirations in the age of discovery. This is the time when Sultan Suleiman had what she calls a grand project. The grand project was to sort of recreate the Roman Empire, right? The, the world of the Alexander the Great, being the leader, the sole leader of the world, the known world. He's not alone in that project. I mean, we know that Philip II, before him, Charles V, had the same idea. They're the same age. They came to power around the same time. They are both two young men. They claim that they are the, the sole leaders of the world. In that grand project, Mediterranean holds a central place. To return to Piri and this grand project of Sultan Suleiman. It's not only that he's this interesting, curious character who wants to know as much as he can about this new world that's being discovered, but he also is being co-opted by people in the very highest echelons of the Ottoman government as somebody who's useful to be able to turn that into a political capital. So Piri the former pirate is useful to an expanding Ottoman Empire that is competing with the Portuguese, the Spaniards, and the Venetians, and looking to master the world in a grand project. Piri is useful because he's collecting knowledge, the latest geographical knowledge. This is what Piri Riis says in the legend to his 1513 world map. He, used, he says that I used 20 portolans, a world map, eight Arab and four Portuguese sailing charts and a map by Columbus. What does that tell you, this information, is the fact that there is a network of knowledge exchange in the Mediterranean. He is tapped into it. He has access to these maps and charts. He, he's able to acquire them. He's able to understand them, which means that he also knows 
the languages or at least familiar with the terms or the, the concepts. So in that respect, he is sort of right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of the time and space of the age of discovery. Here is what Yossi has to say. Columbus voyages in 1492. Within 20 years, Piri already is able to reproduce this knowledge of Europe. It passes so, so quickly where I was completely unprepared for, for this. So he is, he is sitting in Gallipoli and he manages to get this world map of which we have just uh, one third, but the further this, that shows the Atlantic Ocean and, and the, the New World. And he's able to reproduce it in the way of a seafarer. The Spiri uses his knowledge of the sea and global knowledge about the sea to make himself useful to the Ottomans. His knowledge could facilitate their imperial ambitions. They, in turn, make use of him. They promote him and give him the official title of admiral. Thus, both Piri, the sea artisan, and Suleiman, the Ottoman sultan, are participating in a global game of exploration. And these maneuvers and shenanigans are evident to the historian who reads between the lines of the Book of Navigation and places it in its historical context. I will end this episode by visiting the beginning of the book to a part of the rhymed poetry section of the book to find a reflection of why I found this episode so pleasurable to work on. Piri says, I have roamed the shores of the Mediterranean, Arabia and Europe and through the lands of Anatolia and North Africa and I have written, my friend, all that needs to be written about each and everything. Good friend, attend when the masters speak, for it is the masters who always teach the ignorant. And if the metal of your heart be pure, you too will become a master of your profession. One should read and understand the nature of the world and also of oneself. In this episode, I roamed with Piri in his travel. I attended to the masters as they spoke. I do not know if I understand the nature of the world, but I certainly understand one thing about myself. Talking with peers about Piri has allowed me to connect with fellow historians to discover wonderful traits in their varied personalities. Pinar's humor and clear vision, Giancarlo's charm and concision, and Yossi's compassion and subtlety. What I understand about myself is that what I enjoy most about being a historian is bantering with friends. <laughs>